This is Raphael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube Podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. So, how are you doing? It's hot. I'm tired and pretty good, actually. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I imagine it's very hot in sunny California where you're coming yep. to us from now. I think viewers are, I or listeners are probably going to get used to you just beaming in from different locations. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that that just might be me from this point forward is honestly you know, might pick be. a place on the map and I might be coming from just like, yeah, some random, it's like random country. Which location are you recording in this time? Or which, mm-hmm. you, which, which country, which continent? Um, I'm not going to lie. The time zone. Yeah. Not going to lie. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous. Uh, Because you're back in SoCal, our old stomping grounds. I haven't been there in a very long time. So I'm kind of jelly that you got back there before I did. But uh, I'm really (laughs) happy for you getting to to spend some time in uh, familiar, familiar territory. Yeah, it's actually super crazy just driving around with uh, our cousin and just going like, I'm staying with our, our cousin right now, temporarily. Just driving around going like, I recognize all of this <laughs> yeah right <laughs> it's like it's it, so strange it's it's familiar yet foreign on the account of the fact that you haven't been there in like a decade but yeah it's all familiar like it's not you're not yeah. going around like utterly bamboozled by everything you're seeing it's, it was weird because like one of the first things that i noticed one of the first big differences that i noticed in getting to san diego was the buildings look pretty much exactly the same like it's it's like that hasn't changed whatsoever however these are old ass like adobe brick buildings with solar panels on them now (laughs) (laughs) yeah because california (laughs) yeah so it's just like okay that's new (laughs) right yeah but it looks it's basically exactly the same and just uh, more energy i told you about this Yeah, I told you about this uh, right when I got off the train from L.A. to San Diego, right right when I got off the train. First thing I was treated to, first thing, was some random homeless guy at the bus stop screaming his head off about politics. (laughs) I was like, yep, yep, this is this is San Diego. I remember this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good times. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you're back there again, uh, for the both of us. <laughs> Hopefully right, I can revisit, yeah. uh, the old hometown again someday soon. Yeah. Yeah, man. So it's real nice down here. We, we were getting into a conversation before we started recording, uh, about American psycho. Cause I sent you an interesting American psycho cosplay <laughs> right. video. Yeah. I don't, I've, I, I don't have the cosplayer's name on hand, but they do like they're, uh, what, what's that character's name? What's Christian Bale's character's name? Bateman? Um, something Bateman? Uh, probably a very normal first name. Um, he, yeah, yeah. So a cosplayer does very great cosplay and impersonation of that character. Right. And yeah. I thought it'd be hilarious to send that your way uh, because you're a big fan of that film. And I'm like, oh man, this is super niche too. <laughs> like who the heck yeah. is cosplaying American Psycho? Yeah. But yeah, we got us into a whole discussion about American Psycho and how weird and interesting of a movie that is and i kind of want to see it again now knowing a lot more about it and knowing more of what i'd be getting into because it's kind of a film that requires some mental preparation you know you can't just kind of go into it cold and so now knowing more about it i would love to rewatch it knowing more of what i'm getting into but you're talking about the fact that that film is prime territory for 
a remake or or reboot or some sort of modern spiritual or a successor sequel or something like yeah yeah you were saying a sequel could work too yeah and like especially in, in the, like the way the modern film industry and franchise loving uh, <laughs> studios are now a sequel is probably the way it would go but yeah yeah like it's prime territory for like a reboot or a remake or something like that where in very much in the style of like body snatchers right where it, one is released like every generation telling a new story with the same plot basically yeah and with the same with a similar theme but like it the yeah, theme, same themes theme is yeah. discussing it, it manifests itself differently in each generation is the thing with exactly. body snatchers and at least that story manifests itself in uh, different ways in different generations right. depending on what the big societal fear is at that time and with american psycho you're talking about how because i i suggested that it's it's it would be great for a sequel just so you can right. just for marketing purposes and so you could get it you know actually produced and and well yeah. funded but yeah that's it, probably the way to go if you want it want it to happen exactly yeah i think it would be it would be billed as american psycho 2 but it would be right. fundamentally a reboot or a reimagining where it's right. just a uh completely modernizes the setting and has a whole new cast of characters while maintaining the same spirit uh, the same design principles and uh, most importantly, the same thematic thrust, right? The same themes dealing with the same themes as the first film. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's pretty much the conclusion we arrived to. And I agree with your assessment that because it, it is very tied to its setting, that first film. Yes. Where yes. it's like, it is very like early nineties, like wall street, corporate. Yeah. Culture, corporate culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much that. And so, yuppies that's the word i'm thinking of yeah yeah so you're right that like it is due for a modernization because you could tackle the same themes of you know that sort of upper class psychopathy with uh, a more modern setting of what the corporate landscape is more like today right yeah and the connotation would completely change but the themes would very much be the same or at least the the right. i think the aesthetic of it would change a bit too completely completely change because it would be like it would, it would be this was set in Wall Street in the 90s, right? So, like, this is people are actually trading, like, with phone calls and actual person-to-person -person connections. And people were, like, actually making sales with just the sheer force of personality, right? Mm -hmm. Nowadays, that's all done with computers. Yeah. This would be a Silicon Valley. <laughs> that's what I was like, thinking. Tech, tech giant. <laughs> yeah. Like, this would be set in the middle of San Jose. <laughs> I was totally thinking the exact same thing. Is Yeah. yeah. The modern version would be Silicon Valley. Uh, tech entrepreneur of some sort you're saying the, yep. the the protagonist would essentially be like uh, an elon musk analog for yeah. this but sequel I, yeah that's what i said at first but i think i think i'm going to go back on that i think elon musk the, the earth not actually elon musk but the elon musk stand-in right the person you look at and you go like that's freaking elon musk <laughs> elon musk would be jared leto's character in this in this like that's where <laughs> oh he would i come see in. he would come in and he'd be the perfect whatever these people are doing right like like he just comes like yeah like he's he's got it all made he like he's got all this power and all this money and he's suave and there's like people love him and then this other guy's like i want that yeah i want to be the next elon musk <laughs> what the f Hold on. what was that alexa shut up <laughs> is that a thing you could say <laughs> yeah apparently <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like we all learned something here. 
I, I feel like Amazon knew what they were doing. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Um, oh, yeah. So I wanted to pose the question when we were getting to that conversation. We were like, hold on. That's a podcast right, right. question. Who? Because you need your Bateman. You need your Christian Bale yeah. lead actor. Like, I think Christian Bale is a large part of what makes that movie tick. And so who mm. would be the, the lead actor for this one? Man, that's a fantastic question. I think you have to have an English actor playing an American again. <laughs> for what for what cause? <laughs> because I think it can't well, I think there's just something about a non-American playing an American that gives a unique perspective of how Americans think and do, right? <laughs> Whereas like it's inherently a performance. Like it's not just that this person is playing like a very American role. It's that the actor is also very knowledgeable and researched in playing that role as well. Right. It's not just the character. It's also the actor, right? So it makes it, it makes it so that it's also a facade on that end as well. well, Yeah. It doesn't have to be English, like, but you know what I mean? It has to be some, somebody, yeah. Somebody who's uh, playing an American who isn't an American. Yeah. To be fair, Christian Bale is pretty, uh, pretty comfortable being an American. Um, he's, he's done that a lot. So he, Which is exactly why he was good for that role. <laughs> that, that's fair. That's probably a big part of it. Now, yeah, so who, who would it be? Who would it be? That's the question, because you need somebody with that level of charisma, yeah. and that level of, dare I say, zaniness. <laughs> yeah, and they have to be young. They have to be young, probably in good shape. Oh, my gosh. You know who it would be? Ryan Gosling. Shoot it. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. <laughs> Where's Ryan Gosling from? Is he Canadian? I don't. Uh, well, that's a good. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if he fits the foreigner aspect, but he uh, certainly. When I think of like the kind of roles you would cast him for, and he also just meets all. all he is Canadian. Yeah. He totally is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I just looked it up. There we go. Meets all the criteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say shoot it in like ten years and get Tom Holland. Oh, that would be pretty good too. Yeah, I can see a Tom Holland because, like, first of all, Tom Holland, fantastic actor, is such a good guy. But man, I loved him in what was that movie that we just that we watched with him uh, most most recently? Devil All the Time. Yeah, yeah, Devil All the Time. That yeah, is like, like he's phenomenal in that. C- completely separate from the Tom Holland characters that I've seen before, which was basically just Spider Man and that one kid from The Impossible. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. He has range. Yeah, he's got range, and I think he could pull off an American Psychopath pretty well. As well as having, you had to have the opening American Psycho homage scene, right? Where mm-hmm. they're, they're just ripped right out of bed, morning, morning routine, routine, knocks out 100 push-ups, mm-hmm. right? Now, he would rock that. I think he's probably... Like, <laughs> except for it would be, except for it would be like a freaking, uh, like a tricking montage. Like, <laughs> yeah, same shape. <laughs> <laughs> he might be a little old for it now, but I was thinking, and this... This would be a very different movie, I think, from the first. But there would be, there is an interesting version of this hypothetical sequel that stars Benedict Cumberbatch, I think. Hmm. Oh, man. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. But, oh. That, that, yeah, you're right. Completely different movie. But that could work. It could work. Yeah, it'd be a completely I mean, he, different movie. Very different vibe. Yeah. I think he's a very different... He can do a very different kind of Zane. And also yeah, well, a very different he, kind of stone face. Yeah, because he does um, empathically challenged characters pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> he's already done some of those. But yeah, like, yeah, he does have a very particular kind of Zane. Like, it's a different Zane for the flavor of American Psycho. But hey, that might be it. That might be what we need. 
Yeah. Well, there was another film that was kind of being hailed by some early reviews as like a new American Psycho that came out a few years back. But I think that one kind of fizzled out, didn't quite achieve the cult status mm. that the that American Psycho did. I don't even remember the name of the movie. So I guess it just kind of dissipated into the wind. But that one, yeah. it looked decent, but that one starred um, Nicholas Holt in the lead role. Oh, hold on. I think I know who that is. That's, That's uh, um... he played. Um, what's his name? Nux, Knox in uh, Fury Road. Uh, he plays, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he plays Beast in right, young, yeah. young Beast in the a right. lot of the X Men movies. Uh, so he's been, yeah. he's been in a number of stuff. I remember him. He's got, he's got some serious range too. Yeah, he does. I mean, <laughs> Fury Road, am I right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From we compare X Men and Fury Road, very different characters. <laughs> oh, what was it? What, what movie was that? Do you remember? Uh, no, I said I specifically forgot the name. I guess oh, it just I, got I, thought you're, out. I thought you were like looking it up if you're gonna. But anyways, yeah, I mean, a few months ago I watched a, a movie over again that kind of gave me just a completely separate thing, but kind of gave me um, almost modern American Psycho vibes. Not that I'm thinking back on it, but like it's American Psycho if regular people were looking or like a regular from the point of view of regular people in the world of American Psycho. You know, what movie that was, huh? The Big Short. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like that's like the American Psycho from the point of view of normal people working with those with American Psycho characters. Also, Christian Bale's in that one, too, though. <laughs> he is. But like very different role. Very. different. Yeah. 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 That one's that that's a little too real, though. That was something that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing, right? Because it's like there isn't any plot or complete kooky, zany thing that you're going to be able to do in like a modern psychopath film that people aren't going to look at and go oh yeah that happens all the time (laughs) just because like just because we know so much weird stuff is happening in like the corporate culture of whatever's going on right now that people are just going to look at that and like there isn't anything we're going to be able to do that i say we as if we're actually going to make this film (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. there's anything that would be in this hypothetical american psycho 2 that that wouldn't be just like a yeah i knew that Mm, yeah Cause it's just gotten so weird. It's gotten so weird. Like when American Psycho came out, I think that was more of just like a, that was a, a kind of a pulling the curtain back type of movie for people, right? Now it's like you just go to Twitter and you get stuff way weirder than that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's fair. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's a good point. There's there's just some weird stuff. I mean, we're very much. Uh, uh, growing into the cyberpunk future that uh, all the writers imagined it, it where like <laughs> we've got these larger than life corporate characters that just control so many things and have their hands in so many pies through their diversified uh, business portfolios it's 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 kind of <laughs> insane. portfolios mm-hmm. yeah like it, it, we are very much in that spot right where you think of these big tech giants for example right most people know them by right. name it's like it feels yeah. very much like a cyberpunky kind of future that we're in like yeah. they're household names business ceos yeah corporations and ceos are celebrities yeah they very much are which is wrong <laughs> <laughs> hey y'all know something pretty meta what's up so you know how facebook used to be called it's called meta yeah it used to be called facebook <laughs> now their company's called meta yeah. To right. make things make more sense. But apparently, sure. there was another company that was called Meta that's now suing Meta for using the name Meta. It's pretty Meta. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that I should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah, right. Meta is, just, <laughs> Meta is just also just like a, a word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Like, surely somebody would have come up with that before. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, I could imagine, though, whoever was in charge of making this uh, rebranding decision, right? It's just like, okay, we need, we need to make sure that nobody else has this company meta and so on and so forth, get, get people on it. And then, like, they send out some people. It's like, okay, there was this one company <laughs> that's already called meta. It's like, mm, how big are they? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> so, you know, like, yeah, we could win that lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could win that lawsuit. Or we could pay the settlement, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is always we'll, an option. We'll buy them in five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... Like at that point, it doesn't even matter. Like to Facebook, like if there was like if there was like thirteen other companies they met, they look at them just like these guys. They would even get into the courthouse. These guys, we'll just pay them off. These guys, we'll probably just buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, should we should we get into the main topic of this episode? I think so. Okay, because we wanted to, there there was something we wanted to talk about here, very particular. There is, and I'm I'm actually super excited. I'm like I'm I'm super I'm buzzing with energy right now. Shut up, Alexa. <laughs> Alexa strikes again. All right. So I've, I've been screaming at you to finish Exandria Unlimited Calamity. And apparently you finally did between right. now and the last time we talked. Dude. All right. So. And I was like, we got to talk think- about it. So let me let me just say this now. I think the rest of this episode, probably knowing us, is going to be dedicated <laughs> to analyzing the heck out of Exandria Unlimited Calamity. I will say now. Just the first episode, though. because oh my god (laughs) there's so much there's so much to break down um but i will say yeah so i kind of want to i kind of want to take this time to be a full-on spoiler cast of this because i think we both have a lot to say and i think we have we've both learned a lot from from watching it uh as well as just enjoyed it immensely but i'll say if you um uh if you haven't seen exandria unlimited calamity uh, go watch it before you listen to this yeah because if you if you will at least if you if you have any enjoyment of tabletop role-playing games yeah. or anything like that because this is probably a conversation you'll want to listen to but i don't want i, I don't want this to be your first impression of it because it's yeah. such it's such an incredible miniseries it's just a four-part critical role miniseries uh dnd 5e uh, actual play uh miniseries Stellar cast DM'd by Brendan Lee Mulligan, who's mm-hmm. actually just been everywhere for some reason. He keeps popping up into different things that I watch and like guest appearances. I'm like, what the heck? How, why are you all of a sudden in my life? Because <laughs> first he did this critical role bit. It's like I wasn't too familiar with him before that. And now he's in uh, he's in the latest right, episode right. of Dear Hank and John. I was like, ah, oh, what the heck are you doing popping up into all my feeds? <laughs> so it was. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, I, I need to see that. So oh, there's so many Dear Hank and John stuff I need to see. There is. You got to see the one they did with Ryan Reynolds. It's hilarious. I know. I know. <laughs> but also talk about weird cyberpunk futures. Um, <laughs> so uh, the yeah. So I, I, hey, well, I would just I, say like, I highly, highly recommend you watch that show before you listen to this conversation. If you have any interest in listening to this conversation, like I said, it's four parts. They're all range about like four. The last one is the longest at like six hours. Um, yeah, but you know, you watch that 1.25, 1.5 speed, like you should be doing with all tabletop content. You could get through it pretty (laughs) fast, but it's, it's so good. I cannot, I slammed through it at two X speed. (laughs) Really? Oh man. I I feel bad for you. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, no, that's like, that's just how fast my brain processes stuff. Okay, cool. I guess if you focus on it, yeah, then you probably don't miss too much, but, um, cause there's an extraordinary amount of detail in that. It's so dense. It, it is incredibly dense uh, work of art, really. And it's 
uh, again, I would re- if you have any interest in this conversation, I recommend you watch that miniseries first uh, because this is not something you want to get spoiled. It, I cannot yeah. stress enough how good this is. It is hands down probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, D&D campaigns I've ever seen. And I'd actually seen somebody once say this. And like the fact that I, I didn't even feel critical of this comment really testified something to me where I was like, they're saying like, it's not, not just one of the best, like some of the best D&D I've ever seen. It might be one of the best stories I've ever seen told in any medium ever. And I'm like, man, <laughs> I don't know if I want to argue with that. It is so profoundly good. It is so profoundly good. I was going to say, as somebody who is very keenly aware of how much I exaggerate and uh, talk in hyperbole, it is, without a doubt, the best d I have ever seen, and I will never make anything that good. <laughs> it's quite possible. That's the depressing part about watching it. <laughs> You're just like, oh, man. Yeah. Unattainable levels, uh, at, at least that presently. Like, I can't, I just can't I, foresee like, it. I watched the first episode and I, I, I walked away thinking like, what am I even doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, this is how you play. Yeah. What, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, what are we doing over here? Like, this is this is role playing right here. Yeah. Like, like everything. It's, it's kind of like, what was that? Um, there's this one like trope or like uh something where it's like you you taste something so good that everything else after that tastes like utter <laughs> bitter ash yeah yeah totally i get what you mean it's very much it's that. Just like I, I, just the first episode alone i was watching it i'm like man like everything i'm watching everything i do all the D i'm gonna play from this point forward is gonna be in direct comparison <laughs> to just this one episode yeah right like it's just it cannot be unseen that's the thing about it it's just it's a work of storytelling and narrative design and role playing and so many things combined it's just such a profoundly well-constructed story that once it's seen it cannot be unseen and that becomes difficult after a while because they're just so there's so often now where you'll be watching any actual play and you'll just be like man I know what this could be. I know the high. Yeah. I've seen the heights of attainable achievement that actual play yeah. can be. And now it's you'll, like I can't go back. You'll just be sitting back in your chair, just you know, drinking some juice and having some popcorn, listening to Fox Machina or whatever, like episode four hundred and seventy, going like, "Exu Calamity was so good." yeah right oh it's tough so that being said now that we've heaped praise on this thing let's get into the nitty-gritty so let's let's go on to into this full-on spoiler cast discussion spoiler cast Uh, spoiler cast starts now xandria unlimited calamity here we go what did you think (laughs) oh my god so okay okay i keep talking about this first episode but like even the first character introduction yeah from the right? very Where first like, scene no from the very first yeah, we, scene you're just like i, I was hooked <laughs> yeah because we know it's calamity we know it's like the end of the world we know going in that it's going to be fire and brimstone he just comes in looks at yeah first word uh, is fire luis yeah luis yeah first word he's, he says fire a lot in luis, <laughs> in luis carrazo who is yeah, i i, I, I was fantastic man. fantastic actor i was not familiar with him before this apparently he's appeared in a number yeah. of actual play stuff around the interwebs but um yeah he's a phenomenal actor and also just like Fan, uh, super everybody just, 
super masculine looking dude too i was gonna say I'm yeah. like but every every time it's like his role-playing scene i'm just like this dude is sexy as heck <laughs> everybody at that table are fantastic actors and i love how they actually uh modeled the characters on yeah actual like look because man like it's super immersive when you're going in and like you know uh okay we said we we're gonna talk about it but we're just going back and just gushing over the production of it. yeah but um like when Marisha is like talking as Pesha and it's just like, yeah, she looks like a freaking elf. <laughs> yeah, she does. She's got that look down. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you have, um, yeah, Luis, uh, you know, the first night, right. And he's got this massive beard and it's just like, hell yeah, he's the first night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And then all- there's Sam. <laughs> and then there's Sam. Big Sam, which was yeah. brilliant character idea for this one. I thought to like ta- put his ad reading skills to use. <laughs> Dude, his, what the heck, man? Sam is so good. He is so he is such a good role I, player. I aspire to be as intense as Luis in a dream sequence and as calm as Sam in an improvised ad read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and actually, that's one thing they talk about in the in the breakdown afterwards, the cast uh, roundtable that they did after yeah, the fact. Yeah. Um, Because Marisha was saying about was gushing about Sam, too. And she was saying, like, she recalled a conversation she had with him a long time ago where she asked, like, how do you how do you do it? Like, how do you how you know, what do you keep? How do you like pull off like some of this crazy, like long play stuff? And one thing that he said to her a long time ago when they were still in the Vox Machina campaign, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a very simple piece of advice, but I think a very vital piece of uh, role playing advice is he said, just remember everything that happened before, yep. right? Yep. And like give continuity to it and like call back stuff that your characters have experienced before. And she pointed out that like the final speech he gives on his last, yes. his character's last speech on the airwaves is just the most profound application of that advice that he gave her a long time ago of just basically taking everything that has happened over the course of this campaign and then just delivering this awesome speech all together at once that he barely had time to write, you know, (laughs) literally the middle of break. Yeah. Middle of break, which was like hilarious. They talked about that. They're like the, they had that feeling where it was like, oh, man, you wrote that over the course of break. We were just screwing around. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, Sam was going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with um, Brennan, too. Just like, it's also just a perfect joke, right? Mm. Where you have that very serious, like, hyper intense character moment. And it would be out of character for him to not have an ad read. <laughs> yeah. would be like, and then he's just like, he just like talks about all his friends and everything that they've done and accomplished and throughout their life and throughout their careers as like the makers and shakers of this amazing, like beautiful forgotten city. And then don't forget the, the market of wonders. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so you did watch the uh, round like, table afterwards. I, are you kidding me? First thing I did. As okay. soon as the episode, fi- episode six finished, I'm like, I watched round table. I watched GM, the, yeah, the, the GM, GM round table. I watched all of it. I watched it twice. <laughs> oh, Yes. Okay. Yeah. We could talk about everything then, but yeah. yeah. So your initial impression is just same, basically the same as everybody's who watched it. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I highly doubt that anything like that could be not achieved again, but could be topped because it's one of the best, uh, like it's the, it's the shining moment of a GM who has prepped for this, their entire career as GMing. I think you talked about how other, um, his other dimension 20 uh, show yeah yeah dimension 20 is is it's all 
It's anthology. anthology. It's all yeah. short run stuff. So like he's already prepared for this and he knows he's going on the biggest show of Dungeons and Dragons. So he just like pulls out all the stuff. Probably like, you know, every trick in the book. The biggest, it all in there. the biggest actual play show on the internet. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. hard to emphasize how big a deal this, this show is like in sheer numbers, it kind of like critical role kind of dwarfs like official Wizards of the Coast D&D content by a large oh, by margin. A, by a long yeah. shot. Also because they don't do it very often. So they don't have time to build up like a... That's n- true. Not, not a following. Because they have a following, but they don't have time to build up to something like this, mm, right? Yeah. like whenever they drop like their annual streams or they have their, their regular stuff, it's like, oh yeah, cool. That's um, official content. Mm. Great. But with, but like they don't have that same yeah well they don't momentum have momentum as that critical. they don't I, honestly they, yeah they they lack a lot of that character driven like franchise building where with and character and lore driven to a certain extent but where like with Critical Role first off there are more people that watch Critical Role than play Dungeons and Dragons right like there are a lot of that that is the same a lot of, sure. a lot of non D and D players watch Critical Role and enjoy it. And so you have a lot of people that are invested in its lore more than like the standard D&D lore. And so like you say, drop something like Calamity and with the sheer number of people that know what that word means going into it, you know, and know what part of the world they're looking at. It's like it's got a great like narrative investment for the audience right off the bat, just because of the franchiseness of it. Yeah. So you have a GM who has worked towards this their entire life. (laughs) Yeah. They're playing at a table and on the highest stakes, uh, D platform playing with some of the best players and actors in the like uh like in their respective fields right now yeah it's like you you, you can only it's a perfect do that again. like a, you can't you, you cannot like beat that yeah yeah and it's so good the cast i was saying like the the chemistry of this cast is so phenomenal too it's just this combination of people that's just like whoa and they just nailed it and although we're hearing brendan lee mulligan talk about the way he does prep for something like this for something short form like this and the way i kind of summarize his process was he he very much because he doesn't have like in a long form campaign, you have a lot of time to do character development that comes about very spontaneously. And then by the end of the campaign, you like no matter what, you'll end up with some amount of depth if you've stuck with these characters long enough. Whereas with that, and if you. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with a mini series like this, something short form, since you don't get all that run up, he does a lot of that in prep work and character building exercises and in character building collaboration where he essentially does all this work to make sure that they come to the table in session one with fully developed three-dimensional characters, and then they just go from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So what I was going to say before about fire. Yes, fire. <laughs> going all the way back. Yeah, like, like yeah, Calamity. We know it's going to be in the world. He starts off with... Uh, uh, Luis's character. I forget most of their names. Xerxes. 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 Right. I forget. Xerxes. Xerxes. First night, right? For the U.S. Xerxes. <laughs> Xerxes. Xerxes. The big Z. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. So yeah, you have uh, like the scene that he's like spinning. It's like, oh man, we're starting already. Where the heck is everybody else gonna come into this? <laughs> like, like, like calamity happened. Like. <laughs> Off screen? <laughs> That's the level we're starting at? And then he wakes up. And it's like, oh my god. Wait, that wasn't... What? 
we haven't started yet. And then he goes into all the other characters and it's that same level of just intensity, but for completely different things. There's like, like, here's like, he's like, he gives that little sneak preview of just like, here's what it could be like. Like, here's what you, here's what you're expecting, right? Mm. Here's a little taste of that. We're going to pull it back. And I'm going to give you what we're actually going to do. Here's all the politics. Here's all the, yeah. the moving and the shaking of, of the stuff. Like he was talking about like all the characters in their little thing did something really important mm-hmm. that also that appeared later in the show, but also just like in like the history of the world. Like, you know, Sam was, was influencing an election. They were all preparing for this pretty momentous occasion for the city. It's like, obviously, whatever the heck uh, the... um. Architect Arcane's doing down there on her lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like she's out there doing some stuff, but it's like everybody was doing something so important, meaningful. Yeah, like it wasn't just important; it was meaningful. Yeah, and that uh, that is hard to do as not only a storyteller, but as an improv storyteller. <laughs> like, like with a script, I couldn't write anything that good. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and there are all of the opening vignettes of each of the characters are so good. I mean, obviously he drops us first, like you said, with that powerful cold open. And it's it's yeah. such a phenomenal cold open because it immediately sets the stakes. It immediately introduces yep. you to the central conflict and what you expect yep. to be the central conflict, which you don't right. realize is like, this is going to come later. It's like five steps down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like five steps down from where we're at right now. But then, yeah, everybody's opening vignette is just so good and so fast paced and so um it's 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 tight storytelling right like none of their yeah. vin- opening vignettes waste any time and you could tell that exactly i, I think there might may have been some collaboration where they all had some like forewarning uh, a little yeah. bit about what their kind of scenario was going to be because like you could tell by how smoothly they go into it that they had some level of preparation but it just yeah. works so well as an audience member just seeing everybody go in each of these characters in their element at their best moments you know and at yeah. at their best generally and it's yeah. just it's it's incredible to watch and you immediately realize oh this is the party we're dealing with right like these guys are level mm-hmm. 14 they are established they're leaders they're all leaders yeah and they have a, a place in the social politic of this city and mm-hmm. they have influence and they just have a lot going for them this is the moment yeah. we're seeing them at <laughs> and and not only that i love this little bit of like subtle the subtle reversal of like we hear them doing their thing mm-hmm. right like there's like this is at their most individually powerful then they all get together we discover they're called the ring of brass yes there's a silver gold and platinum above yes them. those guys are like what are they doing right yeah exactly like I mean, well i think that's a that's a perfect place for this sort of a story I, as much as i would have loved to see like a 17th level epic party i love epic level stuff but it's like these yeah. guys were all still effectively epic level just because of the setting um and right, right, right. but having any influence in being at that level but they they were still i think that's a good place to set player characters for this type of thing where it's it's um they're the least powerful of the most powerful people in the city right but i think that's exactly why that needed to be yeah because we meet those guys later and they're all assholes <laughs> they like if if we were watching them if they were the heroes of of calamity calamity would have happened way sooner it would have been like the first two episodes calamity would have happened and they would have been like shoot it, it's over uh we all died literally everybody died <laughs> didn't save anybody exactly was actually screwed and um <laughs> yeah uh, matt mercer fixed the lore because um Alexandria blew up <laughs> and it was our fault. 
Well, like, well, that's the beauty those... of the calamity, though. There's no need to fix the lore. <laughs> it's, already, it's already baked into the history that everything blows up. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing, right? It's we, we see how calamity could have been worse. Yes, could have been worse with the ring of brass. No, like, what I'm saying is like we we know what silver uh, and gold rings were doing. They yeah. were not helping. Yeah, <laughs> they they were only helping themselves. And by doing so, they if that if the story was following anybody at a higher level, somebody who was so entrenched in the belief of progress at whatever cost, mm-hmm. there's not, progress at whatever cost, excluding personal sacrifice. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's because that's true. They only cared about themselves. They only cared about progress for the for them the one person that they cared about the most, which is themselves. We saw the people in, in silver and gold, and they were just they were not good people. It had to be the people at the lowest, people who are scrambling for power, not the people who had it. The people who are scrambling for it, the people who had to work for it. Yeah, and I think that that's also really important when he talks about that scene with. Um, I don't remember uh, his name, but he was the the pirate captain. Oh merchant. yeah, Nidus, um, played by yeah, Nidus. I don't remember uh, his player, uh, Lou Wilson. Lou Wilson, uh, yeah, Lou. He's great. So, <laughs> oh my god, he was, dude, that guy's a bard for sure. <laughs> like he, like when he when he gets into character, his voice, like, and his voice goes from just like kind of chill and happy to just. Booming. Yeah. It's like, man, that guy just uses like thaumaturgy just nonstop. <laughs> but he like when he has that character switch when he's going from, yeah, I'm gonna help Architect Arcane bring the city into the heavens, right? And then he has that moment it's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. There, there was a prophecy <laughs> and uh some some stuff's going down, and I think we should take a step back. And then Brendan makes that brilliant piece of insight, like in like proactively, or no, retroactively makes that this bit of insight where he's like, you are the one human in that room. You are the only one who didn't grow up with power. Like, you are the only one who didn't, like, you, you had to scramble to where he was at, right? He started as a pirate captain, and he became a merchant of, of I forget what his, his title was. Yeah, yeah, the, the dragon like, lord, he whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, the, the, the dragon, yeah, something epic. Yeah, he, he worked for that title, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, he knows how bad things could be. And when he saw what, where this was going, he's like, you guys are elves. You don't, you don't understand how bad <laughs> things can get. Like, I'm a human. It's been bad for a while. <laughs> and, like, that's, that, I think that's exactly where their whole party was, right? Where they didn't immediately have all of the power. They had enough to know that they wanted more, but not enough that they had to keep working for it. Yes. And that's why I think it's brilliant to set them at that level. Like I said, the the, the yeah. least powerful of the most powerful people in the city, because it's enough exactly. so that you get that epic level vibe, which is what you want calamity to be, right? These guys are super powerful. They've got God, it was so cool. they're 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 powerful in and of themselves, but they're well geared, well resourced as well, right? Uh, they had like legendary items, you know, up the wazoo yeah. and like they, cause it, apparently Brendan let them have literally anything <laughs> according, literally anything. Uh, according to the after round table. So the, the, they're super well geared. And so it's like, you get that enjoyment of seeing super powerful, uh, characters, which you would expect for something like the calamity, but mm-hmm. you also get that, that sense narratively where it's like, yeah, they are, uh, influential leaders so they have a lot of people under them but then they also have people Mm -hmm. over them right so they're looking down Mm -hmm. at a lot of people but they're also looking up at people who have more than they do so and that's what and that makes for some juicy drama that i think he really exploited um yeah yeah, that was that was phenomenal perfect storytelling Mm -hmm. it's perfect yeah 
Oh my goodness. So, okay, who are some of your favorite characters in that whole party, by the way, though? <laughs> so at first, I did not like Pesha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at first, I did not like Pesha, but... She has a great arc. <laughs> it's not, not that I don't like Marisha, because apparently that's a really popular thing to do, is not like Marisha's characters. I just felt like Pesha didn't have as much as, like, some of the other characters. Like, I mean... Xerxes, right? Mm-hmm. He was a freaking first knight. He, like, what was he doing in that party except being a freaking boss <laughs> and having crazy nightmares? Um, I loved that uh, that bit about him was just like he was the only non-magical person in, in the party, right? Yeah, close and to it, at least. <laughs> clo- well, he was a, a, he had divine magic, right, so yeah, he was yeah. most, the, the only one who had, the only non-arcane, uh, let's say, yeah. the only non-arcane person in the party. Um but like, like I love those kind of characters. That's I, I immediately knew like, yes, that's my favorite character. Wait, and then, sorry, not Arcane. No, you're right. He was the one who was the only one with no actual no magic. no magic period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I, f- I forgot about Sarah. That's the thing. Sarah did exactly what Sarah's job was, which was be stealthy and under the radar. Like <laughs> half the time, I didn't even know he was there until he did something awesome. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> And I love his like, what would it, what even accent was that? Like his freaking, uh, yeah, his for his, like, like man from nowhere. Just like, yeah, it was very almost like pseudo transatlantic uh, nor detective accent. <laughs> <sighs> Let's see what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did the face and everything. But yeah, like the, yeah, like those are the kind of characters I get behind. And then like I, I saw a patient, I was like, okay, yeah, that's just like that's the character you expect to be in this scenario. Like whatever. Like that's that's like normal i guess was what i was thinking mm. like, okay cool she's gonna do the expected character <laughs> but but man once her and um the architect arcane start like getting into some stuff together i was like okay this is my new favorite duo like this is awesome i love this <laughs> oh yeah they're great together <laughs> oh my gosh like by the by the end of it when she had uh like and she was just like messing with people's memories and revealing un, like mm. uh like I think somebody mentioned like unmodifying a dead person's memory. And she's like, yeah, you could do that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, at first I thought it was just going to be like bog standard wizard stuff, but this is bog standard wizard stuff at another level, which is in its own right. Pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that bit that, um, Ren was talking about that. He allowed with her character build too, where he said he gave her access to the full wizard spell list and just yeah. allowed her to just, just pick pick her spells, which is totally something I've heard you propose before. And Brennan did it, <laughs> letting someone pick <laughs> pick their spells during the the that gameplay. Yeah, yeah. Well, because well, like I think what he did with her specifically was she had the orb that ha- she had, that she had right, and she used that as her focus. But it was not only I think like her focus, but it was also which um, love the way she the played entire her focus. Li- oh, so good. But also, it was her the entire library of arcane knowledge of Exandria. Like, the whole world was in there, right? Oh, yeah, at the end, yeah, when she packed it all all in there. (laughs) Yeah, well, like, all of her memories, everything that she's learned, and as somebody, uh, because she was the Keeper of Scrolls. Keeper of Scrolls, yeah. uh, uh, A wizard with a scroll is super powerful. The wizard with all the scrolls is the most powerful. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, having, having that, like, little quirk where she's like okay not only do you have access to all the uh, spells because like my proposition uh, for wizards is like there's so many spells if you're going to be a wizard in my game i'm going to let you have an open spell book you still have a limited amount of spells that you can know 
but you can choose which ones you know in the session. So like once you have well, you're saying to, specifically say you're limited, for for limited stuff or one shots or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, even so, if you have a character in a campaign, I wouldn't be against doing this. Like, if you know, if you have access to, let's say, 15 spells and you can only prepare or I don't remember how the exact mechanics is, but you, you can only use like 10 of them at a time. Right. Mm. So you have to kind of pick and choose. I would say, yeah, like if you prepare the ones that you know you're going to use and you can have like three at the bottom and fill them in with, with, with whatever you want. But once you hit your limit, that's that's it. Right. Because then. Your character doesn't can't know any more than that. I think the way that Brendan did it was like you can literally cast any spell you would like without limit, like without any uh, class restriction. If your class says you can only have like 14 spells, you can use literally anything as many times as you want without limit because she has that orb. And that is broken. <laughs> and it's so good. Well, no, I think you said it was still limited to the wizard spell list. Oh, no. Oh, yes. But the wizard spell list, but still all of them she could cast within like a day. She wanted to cast like 100 spells. She could. Yeah. Because I don't know. What she the basically exact had thing. access to an entire a scroll library yeah. in her orb. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so cool. It's so cool. But yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite character? I, I, I really I really liked Xerxes. I liked his sort of well, first off, again, just kind of getting uh, introduced to Luis as a as a new player. I was like, OK, I, I really like this guy's style of role playing. It's very yeah. kind of like Liam O'Brien, like that same sort of um, very uh, serious, dramatic kind of role player that he uh, role yeah. playing that he kind of favors. I think that's always a nice relief when D&D can become just like very silly, very fast. And so you have mm -hmm. someone to sort of ground the whole party. But I think like yeah, yeah him and and Sarah, Travis's character, I really I really latched onto. But well, the dads, yeah, the dads essentially. <laughs> well, and Sarah's arc was just so so great and just oh like gosh. such yeah, so heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. It's yeah, it's just really oh man, it was so touching. I did not expect that to make me so emotional. Also, did you catch all the uh uh? The Philippine inspiration behind Sarah as well. Nope. Yeah, he talked none of it. Yeah, I didn't realize that until he talked about that in the the round table afterwards. Yeah, and I was like, oh wow, I didn't even I didn't even think of that. I didn't even it didn't even strike yeah. me that he was double tomahawks. Yeah, the, the double tomahawks with the uh, Kali, and I was like, whoa, yeah. didn't even cross my mind. But yeah, like that was that 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 was a super cool character. I just really wanted to see a. Um, I wanted to see an Inquisitor rogue in action for a while, and that did not disappoint. Like, yeah, I remember when Commander pointing out, like, that moment in his opening vignette where Travis, like, in character, makes a deduction without having to make a roll. And you could just see, yeah. like, it's just, it's such a, it's such a great moment. But he, he just nailed that detective thing so well. Like, he yeah. was, he yeah. was genuinely trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Now, Travis is, He's a really good player. Like, oh yeah, he he actually like, uh, you know, for being as like a uh, like doesn't he have a like ADHD or something? Yeah, yeah, he is a little ADHD. Like, for being for being like as ADHD as he is, like he really pays attention when he needs to. Oh yeah, like, he he actually picks up on a lot of stuff that I don't think a lot of the other players are. I think they're just too busy messing around or caught up in their own stuff. And he's just like, did you guys not hear what he just said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like he knows how to focus in on things when he needs to. Yeah. 
And oh, I just love the flavor of that character too. Just the way, like when he goes to work, the whole idea of just oh, like yeah. bird vision being applied to detective work was just like such a high concept, like in, in a cast full of, and a cast in a setting full of high concept ideas. Like that struck yeah. me as like something super, super cool. Like I was like, okay, yeah, this would like, be something that exists in that city and that like keeps up with the high conceptness of it all without while still technically being mundane insofar it's like completely natural yeah. it's not supernatural but it's still so cool <laughs> yeah because it's like you think about just like the things that like bird vision can do right like from miles mm -hmm. up in the sky can zoom in on a little mouse and catch that movement from, from so far away and it's just like the, the moment the moment that they establish that he can just see people who are invisible oh yeah it's over for those hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly those two two grains of sand floating in the air yeah those two grains of sand in the night sky you see them and they're just like yeah i do yeah and then <laughs> there's a super dope animatic somebody made of that moment and it's like that's oh, really awesome i want to see that i, I, oh, I want to see i'll that. send it to you afterwards i'll, yes. I'll probably have to put but, that in the notes oh. but yeah like I think I have a couple of favorite scenes uh, just in the whole thing. Yeah. Well, let me that, let me just uh, say to to wrap up my point. Um, those would definitely be my favorites. But it's like it's so. That being said, we've talked about already. It's such a phenomenal cast. Like everybody yeah, is just so on point. All the characters are brilliant, and they're all brilliant together too. Like the way they work together. It's just it's it's hard to pick favorite. Those would definitely be my favorites. But it's like it's hard to it's hard to put any of them above the rest because. Favorites is really just up to preference. Like everybody was quality in this one. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like you're picking favorites out of favorites. Like everybody was so good that everyone has a top six. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's six players. Okay. But what were you saying? I was going to say, like, I have, a, I have a few favorite scenes, but man, that scene when he's in the room with the, um, I don't, what were those things called? Those um, automa, uh, the automatons, not automatons, the automatons, the hog, hogmadod, hog. scoops, hagendas, scoops, hagendas, scoops. Um, with yeah, with, with with that thing, and then there's a cultist, the invisible cultist in the room. Oh yeah, yeah. And he just like spins, slits his throat, and just like, hey guys, we have we have an infiltrator. Yeah, <laughs> just like. Oh, it's so dope. Oh my god, I I I saw that so vividly. Yeah, right. Head. That's one of those scenes like, that oh, you can just I know picture. exactly. Yeah, and then freaking um, what's his name? Um, the big bad, not the big bad, but um, the cult leader. Um, oh, you're talking about um, Vespin Chloris. Vespin Chloris. Yeah, that's who. It was. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, finally remembered it. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I I don't know too much of like the calamity. Yeah, stuff from like Exandria lore. <laughs> yeah, from. Ex from Xandria general. Yeah, well, like, that, yeah. So apparently he was like, he's a character that everybody. Yeah, knows. he's a big deal. So yeah, Vespin Chloris, yeah. that was to me, just as a Critical Role fan, was one of the coolest parts of this. There are a lot of, lot of coolest parts. The whole thing was the coolest part, really. But um, it was, that was one of the things that I was really anticipating was the fact that Vespin Chloris was going to be a character in this. Um, and the fact that we were going to see this because he was essentially like the most notorious original villain of exandria right obviously exandria uh -huh. like of the world yeah of, of the world of exandria yeah like obviously exandria yeah. has like a lot of uh, classic D, &D characters what? obviously got like vecna and stuff they did in the first campaign but like as far as like yeah. original characters go that are of significance of like global significance to the world like vespin chloris is a pretty is a pretty notorious one and they've done a lot of like expositing some of his lore through um both their most recent campaign as well as like some of the uh 
some of their like uh lore videos that they've they've done more recently and so it was just super cool to see him portrayed and characterized in that in the time period in which he exists yeah and to finally see him like yeah it'd be a, a full-on a full-on villain for an arc <laughs> yeah so like would you say that like like Bespin Chloris is for Exandria as an original character basically like the same level of like somebody like Vecna in terms of the role in the world. Yeah, at least comparable. But I guess with Vespin Chloris, like he kind of unleashed way worse evils than himself, obviously. So like it's almost he's almost yeah, becomes a footnote after a certain point. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like the thing, right? Where it's like um it's like every every cultist who tries to unleash um Orcus or whatever, just like, you know they're not gonna like do that because it would be so bad if they did. <laughs> yeah. Like it's they're not gonna succeed. Because if they did, that's the end of the world. <laughs> It's the kind of thing where it's like, but what if one of them did? Yeah, what if some what if them actually did summon Orcus? And it was uh, no, actually, it was uh, what was it? Um, Asmodeus was that? Yes, Asmodeus was on for this one. Which oh, we yeah. got to talk about as as Asmodeus, 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 Asmodeus. I've always said Asmodeus. I think I, even I'm not sure though what yeah. I've always said. <laughs> Wolfgang Amadeus. <laughs> the oh jeez, dude. This the scene when he's in. Um, uh, when Xerxes is in the what I don't even know what was going on was that like he he was in a prophecy or he was like oh that vision he had where he goes into the mirror? he was having a prophecy where he goes into the yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like he, like he wasn't he wasn't like in another yeah. like space that was just a prophecy it was right? just that it was, was a vision like a, yeah yeah because yeah but it was like and he's talking and he's just having that one on one casual conversation yeah. with you know Asmodeus a, 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 a betrayer god yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like that scene. Like the way that they were talking, everything that was going on, like Brennan is such a good storyteller. Yeah, and a great actor, evidently. <laughs> I'm gonna choose. I'm, I'm gonna choose to say storyteller because <laughs> the other words that the rest of the cast cast had. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because like that's the thing. Like storytelling is, it, it's just, it's this kind of thing where it's like storytelling is inherently lying, right? Because mm. it's like a lot of it is fabrication to get to truth, right? And when he's when he's telling that story and he's doing the Asmodeus thing, it's like, this is the king of lies. And I've told you that that's his job and that's his role. And he's going to talk to you now. And then, uh, he's, and then he says that to a player who says, okay, I'm going to choose not to roll any insight checks. Yes. And then that, what happens from that is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. When, and that's what I love. And it's like, and they talk about this in the, in the discussion afterwards too, is like, he almost he didn't have to tell too many lies, but I did. One thing yeah. I did notice in that vision in the mirror was the in that encounter, the fact that he. Yeah, he didn't really tell too many lies in that scene, but he did tell yeah. one pivotal lie and and that's it, which is when um, he says, like, you're being manipulated. He says, by who you and he says or he doesn't even say no. He just shakes his head. It's like that's like pretty much the only lie he tells, and it's like that is like the most the the, the most the only like bold face lie bold face lie he yeah. tells. Um, he, but like he agrees to a lot of stuff. Yeah, exactly. He he confirms yeah. a lot of things that Xerxes is saying, but it's like that's not as yeah. it's like you set yourself up for that. But it's like that's the only like straight up lie he told, and it's just like the most pivotal pivotal thing to like believe. Yeah. Um, and it's so good. And yeah, I I love that. I love that he was talking about. Luis was talking about like playing a redemption paladin to the extreme of like believing, extreme. yeah, believing that everybody can, it can be redeemed and even trying to re- redeem the devil himself, essentially. Yeah. Um, 
Well, can I, let me just talk about that for a second, if I may, that little, that little subplot and my personal thoughts on it. Yes. And what is to my mind, the story behind Calamity. Yeah. Because everything else, all the other players had plot points that were super important and meaningful. And of course they were all, um, it, it was all important and it was all meaningful. But that, that particular subplot was the story of Calamity. Yeah. Well, it, what I was thinking was at first, because from the opening scene, you know, and even through especially that like mirror conversation, I was like, okay, this is all very interesting. And I like how they're playing this out dramatically. I think it's a well-told story. But like at a certain point, I got like, I got kind of concerned because I was like, there's this, there's at least for me personally, because there's this convention that I notice a lot in a lot of modern storytelling. And I think there are very obvious uh, cultural reasons behind this. Uh, which is like this, this tendency to portray uh, demons or the demonic as an analog for minorities. And, mm-hmm. um, and like, that's just something, I guess, just worldview wise, just like as a, as a, uh, a Christian that I get kind of uncomfortable with. However, I was like, I was worried that I was going in that direction on this. And then I was very like satisfied at how wrong I was <laughs> mm-hmm. because that takes a turn hard. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like, oh, dang. Like even I was like shocked at just how hard that turn was when he finally reveals himself. Um, and we yeah. see the, the real Asmodeus essentially for the first time because it's like, yeah, it's like there. And I guess it helps that there's a lot of all the scenes with him up to that point are just one-on-one with Xerxes. And so yeah. they're very much uh, POV, right? They're perspective scenes yeah. where we're, well, you're yeah, seeing, you're, you're literally seeing Asmodeus through his eyes, which is in a very yeah, optimistic very way. Yeah. Very subjective. Exactly. Um, very subjective perspective uh, because like, yeah, like even the way those scenes are described, like the way he manifests himself to this one person, right. Is what we're seeing. <laughs> and so, it's like you get that kind of optimistic look. And I guess like the, the, the perspective, the um, uh, yeah, that sort of perspective uh, bent to those scenes kind of got me like so immersed that I honestly thought for a second, it's like, wait, hold on. Are we seeing like an actually like empathetic portrayal of Asmodeus here? Is that what the, <laughs> like they're trying to go for? And then I was just like, nope, squish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you, do you remember uh, what Brennan said? He had some he had some pre-written lines that did get that did not get used. Oh did yeah, you remember what those I'm trying were? to remember those. Those were fantastic. He was like, "There's this one bit where he was just like, um, I I don't remember how it started, but he was uh, saying like like that's a that's a problem with all you mortals. Like you love something that is hurting. If I sh- if I if I came to you in that vision at my full power, you wouldn't have wanted to help me or something like that. Yeah. Right? Like you needed something to help." And so I came injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant. And I, I, I love, and he was, uh, Brendan was saying this in that round table as well. And I want to get kind of your perspective on this commentary because he was talking about uh, manipulation, which is uh, one, one, yeah. one of your areas of, of expertise. And yeah. he was saying, was, it, there, there was a comment yeah, he was okay. making in reference to like some study. And he could, he, I think he, he kind of stumbled over his words a bit, but I think I get what he was trying to say. The way I interpret what he was trying to say was like, uh, with those kinds of manipulators is that they're, um, 
uh, high on emotional intelligence and low on empathy. So what? Uh, so the, the there's technical words that uh, he was stumbling over. Uh, there's something called empathive or empathive intelligence or uh, emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. and uh, so basically, uh, psychopaths are high in emotional intelligence and low in emotional empathy, which means they understand emotions intellectually, academically, very well. They don't feel those emotions. Yeah, the way that regular people do. So what what that means is they know, oh, this person is sad. This person is happy. This person is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like they know that. But there's nothing stopping them from acting however they want on it. There's no societal or emotional pressure going. Maybe you shouldn't kind of uh, push your agenda on them at this current moment because uh, they're not in a good space for that. It's like, oh, well, that's exactly why I want to do that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the way he kind of uh, summarized its narrative application, which is that uh, essentially like the how in practice it looks, which is that uh, they. um, They know what to say to hurt someone, but can't feel it when they do. Right. They don't feel it when they hurt someone. Exactly. But they know exactly what to say to do it. Exactly. And I was like, oh, man, yeah. And that's exactly how he played as Asmodeus. Um, and it was just, well, first off, it was just super cool to see a portrayal of a classic D&D villain again and how it would be done in this particular story, in this particular setting. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, because it's like, when was the last time you got to see a DM play Asmodeus? Like, come on. <laughs> when was the last time? It doesn't happen often. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's proper Asmodeus, right? It's not even yeah. like Avatar Asmodeus. Yeah. It's not like cultist summoning a portal. You see Asmodeus's hoof through a portal Asmodeus. <laughs> this is like, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Hello, this is Future Raph coming to you from the mixing room. Uh, so this conversation ran a little long. So we have decided to break it up into two separate episodes. So this has been the first half of this conversation, and the second half will air for next week's episode. Until then, this has been the Hypercube Podcast. This show is edited by Lauren Pacheco, mixed by Rafael Pacheco, with original theme music by Mono Memory. Till next time, God bless.